Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's quite an interesting thing to think about what it means to be a baptized child of God. And there are so many nuances that we have and hear really every week when we hear God's word. And the epistle reading today from Romans 6 teaches us a lot about this, but so does that gospel lesson. Jesus shows us what it means to die and rise again to new life, specifically to live as ones whose righteousness is not our own, but we po- the righteousness that we possess is that which has been given to us by God himself. And so it's a life of repentance, a life which takes sin seriously and sees the need to turn from it or perish and cling solely to the one who has made payment for us in our place. It's clinging to Jesus. And so our Lord said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth will pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So here's Jesus. He's the one who has fulfilled the law and the prophets. He's fulfilled the scriptures. He's our Redeemer. Hearing these words, then, as Christians, we listen to those who see him for who he is, yet we're warned about falling away. We're warned about living a life that rejects what we have been given. The Lord calls us to take us seriously his word and to see our lives hidden in Christ, for apart from him we have no righteousness on our own. We have only sin, and we deserve hell. And so Jesus goes on further to say, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So as the baptized people of God, Jesus teaches us that our hearts and our lives are to conform to his word. And we are to live in the righteousness of Christ. The law isn't relaxed, rather it is fulfilled in the one who was perfectly obedient to it, who did live according to perfectly as God commands. Likewise, we don't put on a show when it comes to righteousness. That's kind of the first part that Jesus is talking about here. The Pharisaic righteousness is an attempt at self-justification. It's an attempt to save ourselves or, at give, or give the conscience a way to think that it's at peace with God while all the while ignoring the beam in our eyes, as we heard a couple of weeks ago when we heard from Luke 6. Now today, when we look around us and we're told how certain things in our world going on right now, that if we really cared about people, we were doing certain things which have been recommended by civil leaders, or we're told we need to be supportive of a certain group or ashamed of our history to the point that we should erase it. And we see then these things Are are these things the righteousness of God, or are they the same fruit of the descendants of those who made a show of prayers, those who wore the finest robes in the street, those who made a scene praying in the temple, those who tried to dictate the letter how far one could walk on a particular day of the week for it still to be a correct observance of the law? Now, all of those things are not the same, to be sure, but it's tempting for us as Christians to fall into this mindset Because the mindset of sinful man, no matter who we are or where we live, 
will always want us to see what we outwardly do, our outward actions, as that which gives us solace, that we're doing the right thing, or that we're being a good person. And it's clearly in the case in things which are wrong and against God's word, those things are cut and dry. But that which God calls, yeah, that which, which God calls bad, and when man calls that, bad, that which is bad good, that's sinful, and that's something we are to avoid. But things that are indifferent or something we can have a different opinions on can easily also get turned into false righteousness. And the danger is real, and Jesus sees through hypocrisy, and he pierces straight through our hearts. His words pierce us. So what does all this mean then? Well, we see concrete examples of this around us today. You turn on the news, social media, whatever the case may be, and you hear this right away or in your everyday life and places and this is happening. You look at politicians, um, maybe overstepping their authority at times, mandating things that have not been given them to do, all in name of it's the right thing to do, the moniker. And it may sound nice as Christians, but we must especially be cautious at this point in our history. We have to be in God's word. That's who the baptized people of God are. God calls us to think critically. Otherwise, there are far greater dangers around us than just physical things. We don't just outwardly signal that we are doing good or concoct ways that this may appear to others as so. Because our old man, who still hangs around us in this life, will take any inch and any opportunity he can in order to use something to make himself look righteous before others. He will walk around, puff out his chest, and retort, we do this because we really care about others. And in his heart, he's thinking, I'm not like those other people who are doing what I am doing. I'm doing my part in all of this. They're the real problem. And this is why people, and we Christians in particular, have a tendency to push back on things which may be indifferent or even good in theory, things that maybe even be good at the surface level. Because when they're forced upon us all in the name of guise of what is good and putting on an affront as such, then our radar goes up and we stop and say, hey, wait a minute, What's that? what was that again? What's really going on here in all of this? Like Jesus told the apostles, we need to be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. And more than ever, we pray for godly wisdom. We use that new mind that we have in Christ, a mind that has been metamorphosized or transformed, as we hear in Romans 12, to think through things according to the word of God, discern what an issue is, and think of the consequences of what is being confessed by doing something or not doing something, and then we act accordingly. For instance, you know, in places where we're seeing all this government stuff, Romans 13 and Acts 5 do not contradict each other. Romans 13, which tells us to submit to authorities, and also in Acts 5, we obey God rather than men. We have to discern and know when is the time to submit and which is the time to rebel in a, in a Christian sense. It's part of what it means to live out our baptisms as we hear, study, and use God's word as our guide in our lives. We sing in that first hymn, so use it well, you are made new in Christ, a new creation. As faithful Christians, live and do within your own vocation. Our vocations are in the three estates of our family, the church, and society. And we need God's wisdom in all of those things. So this isn't just about stores, schools, gyms, or whatever, insert the blank you want to. It goes beyond that. 
Because when we look at all of these things around us, we know that the devil is no dummy when it comes to attacking the church. He doesn't show up at the, the door, the automatic door, with a pitchfork, with horns, and say, hey, I'm the devil and I'm here to destroy the church. But what does scripture tell us? He goes around like a roaring, uh, prowling around like a roaring lion who stalks her prey, looking for the right moment to pounce. He likes to talk a good talk. He likes to use words that appear to be good and maybe even be good at times. And then churches are hindered. They're silenced. They're bullied into any and every different thing. All the while, children are still permitted to be killed in the womb. People can continue in apathy. People are strengthened in their trust of earthly rulers rather than God and of wisdom which cannot save anyone. And that's why God's word teaches us what is good, and it instructs us as Christians. Today, God's word was read to you when you heard the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament reading. And we see these things are which we live our lives in the fear and love of God. And watch out lest we be caught in the snare and not see the real motives and reasons behind much of what is called good right now only to see it like the Pharisees of whom Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so Jesus then give, explains this in the Gospel reading. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So it's with those words that we see something in our lives living in this world that Jesus teaches us. Every single one of us are called to examine our lives and repent lest we think, well, I'm doing this, or I'm not doing that. We see how quick we are to put aside our sin, for our minds and our hearts to go trying, finding a way to think, I'm righteous before God. But Jesus says, no, you must die. You have to die to these things and see how seriously these things are. You think you haven't murdered? You hate your brother? You're liable to hell. And so God warns us then in that Old Testament reading, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God calls you to fear him and repent. So going back then to that question for you this morning, as we think about all these things, and there's so many stuff in these readings, you ask yourself, what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to daily live as one who has been washed clean in these saving waters and clothed with Christ? Well, we have the answer given to you by God, who inspired St. Paul by the Holy Spirit to write, which is the fourth part in the small catechism as well. It's included. What shall we say then? Excuse me, part of it, part of our reading in Romans 6 is in the small catechism. But St. Paul writes this first. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you have died and have risen with Christ. That happened in your baptism, and it's no mere symbol. Likewise, the hope that you have in your baptism is sure and certain, as you see what God has done for you in Christ, which is yours in holy baptism. He goes on to say, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in all that is confusing and all that is life in this world right now, those beautiful words are laid before you by God. And they show you this truth of what is yours. Your sin is forgiven. And you have eternal life in Jesus. Because he was crucified for you. He's risen from the dead, and he lives and reigns for all eternity. And that's the faith which fixes your eyes on Jesus, who has fulfilled the law and the prophets, and leads you forth through this world. So like Peter then, who walked on the water when he kept his eyes on Christ, you cling solely to him and what he speaks to you. But remember what happens when you take your eyes off of Jesus. You get distracted. You worry about what's going on around you. And you sink. So you look to Christ crucified and you will walk and not be moved. That's your daily baptismal life. And it's a life freed from sin, freed from the power of the devil, and even freed from death. Those things have no claim on you who have passed through these saving waters. That's what you have because you're baptized. So thanks be to God for such mercy that he's shown to you and the righteousness you have in him which doesn't fade away. The one who took your place suffering God's wrath is the one who has justified by you by his grace. He's made you an heir of his kingdom. So each and every day you rise in the morning with a clear conscience, knowing that Christ is for you and you have his righteousness. And you show mercy to one another, being firm when you need to be firm, being patient when you need to be patient. Praying and using God's given wisdom to you through his word. Bearing one another's burdens in times of joy, in times of sadness, and sharing together as the body of Christ. And then each evening you lay down your head to sleep, seeing that you have fallen short of what God has called you to be. And yet you rest in the forgiving arms of the one who was laid into the tomb after suffering for your sin, and then rose again on the third day. And God places then that confession on your lips as you read his word together as a family, as you confess his faith, which you've been baptized into, and you pray to your loving Father who gives you all things. And all of that stems from the font, the pulpit, and the altar of this place, where the Lord has called you and where he keeps you in this faith through his word and sacraments. This is God's love for you, and this is yours in holy baptism. So go through this life in that confidence and peace as you gather this day, as you go off to college, as you do any of those things. Don't forget who you are. 
and God won't let you because he preaches, you're baptized. You've been crucified with Christ. You've been raised with him. And he does things especially well, even redeeming you as his child. So you're an heir of eternal life this day. And come what may, that means everything. All that is truly good and righteous, that's yours, now and forever. Amen.